After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Thanks for joining us. This is an episode from our back catalog, so the episode numbers and firm name may have changed. But this is quality information, so instead of scrapping them, we decided it was more important to make sure you still had access. Enjoy the episode, and listen to new episodes of David vs. Goliath at dolmanlaw.com. Welcome to another podcast episode, wherever you want to call it, of Sibley, Dolman Guyip. I'm here with my partner, Stan Guyip. He's a board-certified civil trial lawyer. Today, we're going to keep it kind of light. You know, I, we talk about the law enough. Sports is my passion. If you took a view around my office, um, you would see this is like an eight-year-old boy's bedroom. Uh, you know, I'm just a, I wouldn't call myself a sports almanac per se, but I just love it. And I love baseball, football, college football, basketball, and boxing. We're going to talk a little about Tampa sports today and kind of a, you know, an overview of the Bucks, but more starting with the, you know, the race season. It's about to start. We're in spring training mode now. Um, I don't know. Are they going to allow fans in? What's, what's the story, yeah. first of all, with the fans at Tropicana? And this is kind of the one of the most interesting things to me because, as you know, Matt, I've got a 12-year-old son who is a diehard fan of any Tampa sports mm -hmm. team. Uh, we started looking, spring training popped up last weekend. We had our first game, I think it was Sunday, down at Charlotte Sports Park at 1 against the Braves. There were some tickets. Did you go? No, we did okay. not. We we didn't go, and I was looking at tickets, but that's why I know they're out there. So we're starting. By the way, next time you go, let me know. They, well, I know we're, getting, we're getting off a little off topic in the podcast, but well, I would like notice of that. Uh, well, because I'd, I'd love to go. And, I, you know, what's interesting, uh, you know, when I was looking at some of the stuff from the game, you know, we still, you know, obviously we're still COVID. So when you go, like Charlotte Sports Park is a lot like our local Clearwater Phillies Park here where they've got like an outfield where the kids can go sit, kind of run and do that. Well, when you look, they've got little boxes painted in the outfield where you and your group has to sit in this box on the grass. Uh, the next group has to sit in another box. And, do you have and, to wear a mask? Uh, heat? The which is just awful. The story I saw said you did have to wear a mask, but the photo accompanying the story showed about half the people in masks in the outfield. So I'm not sure uh, how much they're enforcing it, which I, makes it claustrophobic. And then if you're wearing sunglasses, you know your your glasses fog up. It's just it's a it's it's a disaster. It, it's the perpetual almost dance. Am I lifting off my sunglasses or pulling down my mask? Do I yep. need to see or be able to breathe? Because you know, as soon as your mask's up, you can't see because the sunglasses are fogged. So the Rays, you know, going into this year, um, after, uh, you know, they, they run the World Series last year, they lost to the Dodgers, which, by the way, you know, one, one can make a comment about Kevin Cash and the idiotic move he had by pulling Blake Snell, who was pitching a beautiful game, and I think, what was that, game six? And now Blake Snell's gone. You know, the Rays do this every few years. They are a unique organization that most of their players um, grew up in the system, in their own farm system. The Rays traditionally have one of the best, if not the best, farm system, according to Baseball America. It's ranked every year. They have some really good homegrown prospects coming up again this year, but you have a pitching staff that is depleted by the loss of Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. They just brought back Chris Archer as their number two pitcher. Ryan Yarbrough is going to be the third, and Tyler Glass now is obviously their ace, and I think his stuff is just nasty. But 
behind glass now. This this pitching staff is kind of suspect, and I'm wondering if they're going to go back to the starter, which was that where they have a guy coming out for one or two innings to start the game and then right into a deep bullpen, which I don't know if that's what they're going to do this year. Okay, I, I can't tell you the last time we were at a preseason spring training where I said, I see exactly how Tampa's going to pull this off. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, I now have blind faith. Because I have doubted them forever. You've looked at the $40 million payroll, and every year we're in the mix. We field a competitive team, you know, ever since Joe Madden's been here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no one that's doing more with less than what we've got here. And And with an owner that's not committed to winning in Scott Sternberg, he's just committed to, you know, having one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, farm, you know, it's all about the farm system, homegrown talent. And then once they reach the uh, point of uh, where the contract eligible after four years, you know, arbitration eligible, if you will, they get rid of the stars. Yep. And, and that's, I think uh, Stuart Sternberg's big deal is the Mets. Uh, Stuart Sternberg, not Scott. Yeah. He says, Scott's he, a good friend of mine, by the way, does workers comp down Palm Beach. Shout out to Scott Sternberg. Got the two confused. Go on. Yeah, but Stuart, uh, he's a Mets fan by our and mm-hmm. I, uh, me too. Okay, I kind of grew up Mets fan. Oh, I, I grew up worshiping Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. I was a Keith yeah. Hernandez guy. Little did I know, but you know, yeah. Uh, th- these days, I know a little bit more about uh, what was going on in the dugouts than I did then. But mm-hmm. you know, you know, and that's it. You know, sports is this magical thing that sort of brings us all together. If there's one thing within the community we all agree about it's it's almost universally our teams okay everyone's a box fan you can get along with that you know you 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 can talk to strangers okay when you're wearing your box gear someone comes up to you it's almost like a camaraderie it's the same thing with the rays and the lightning you know champa bay you know this is a great place to be a sports fan right now it really is um you know going forward we we can finish up the rays in a minute but I'm worried about the Bucks next year. There's too many guys that are trying to get a big contract right now. I think Levante David is probably going to go elsewhere. It looks like he's going to wind up signing with the Cleveland Browns are showing the most interest. You lose Levante David after losing Quan Alexander the year before, what was the fastest linebacking unit in football, it takes a big hit. You know, Levante David and um, uh, uh, White uh, from LSU, what's his name again? Devin De- White. Devin White might be the best middle linebacker in football. I just forgot his name. First team All-American LSU. And he's been phenomenal his first two seasons. But when you have those two guys with that speed, it's very difficult to run outside in them. And when you got Vita Vey and uh, Sue blocking up the middle, that's why the Bucks had the best run defense in football. I fear next year if we lose Levante David and possibly Shaq Barrett's going for a monster contract. And then you got the receivers. Who are you going to bring back? Because Chris Godwin's got to get paid. And then uh, no one knows what Antonio Brown is going to want another one-year deal, maybe in a, a two-year, just any type of multi-year contract. And you think that he'd be very thankful to the Bucks for giving him this, this shot. But at the same point with the NFL, you only, you only have a limited shelf life as a receiver. And I think he wants to get paid now. So where is the money going to be? It's going to be spread pretty thin. The Bucks have a lot of cap space, but you're looking to sign a lot of guys. I mean, that's, that's the issue. And I think kind of your linchpins there, or as you mentioned it, uh, Shaq Barrett and mm-hmm. Chris Godwin. Okay, once you figure one of them, they, they've got to get at least one of them signed to a long-term contract. Okay. They, they've got to get at least one signed to a long-term contract, and more likely than not, the other's going to get the franchise tag Correct. if they can't get long-term. If they could get both of them signed to a long-term contract, then you've got some leeway to use a franchise tag elsewhere. 
Correct. And I think that's really, you know, once we see that fall into place, we'll know a little bit more. I don't think we've got, you know, some of the guys, and, and I really think there's a difference when I look at the team, the guys who have already made their money, who've already got that big contract and been paid, I think they're looking to stay around. Some of those guys are willing to actually shave a little bit of money off their contract and make it uh, easier to bring in other guys. Well, and that's it. You know, if you've got $80 million in the bank, shave a million off to stay happy. You know, when you've got $2 million in the bank and you're worried about the rest of your life, go sign the $100 million contract. I mean, 100%. that's kind of where I think we're at. So I think you're getting some hometown discounts from the people that can afford to do it, the people that are already set for life. Agreed. And they like it here, you know. Before we get back to the raise for a minute, I know we're going off on a little bit of a diatribe, but what's your opinion on Deshaun Watson, you know? <laughs> I understand his thought process. And by the way, blacks are underrepresented in terms of coaches in the NFL. There's no two ways about that. It's absolute bullshit. My point that I have, though, is you got a guy making $40 million a year. He's making $800,000 a week, which your average American makes about $28,000 a year. So it would take you 30, it would take you 35 years to make what that guy makes in a week. And he's bitching about having to come back to play in, you know, in Houston. Does that make any sense at all in any world do you sit there as an employee and say, hey, I'm making $40 million next year, but I should have a say in who the coach is. They should have came to me and made the decision. The GM should have you know, consulted with my opinions on who the next coach is. I'm going to sit out and not show up. This just only adds to the prima donna aspect of uh, professional athletes and only further disenfranchises your normal, average, everyday Joe who can barely afford tickets to a game who now looks at this guy making $40 million a year, $800,000 a week, and why is he bitching to show up when I'm doing manual labor for $28,000, $30,000 a year and I'm showing up every day, breaking my ass, and I'm trying to you know feed a family of four. You know, I, I honestly don't know how we got there in the Deshaun, Deshaun Watson situation. I, I don't think it's really a race issue as much as anything. It's, okay, he's being paid $40 million a year to throw the football for the team. Okay, certainly. If you want to have something to say about who should be the coach, fine, I'll listen. But you don't get to decide. Okay, as quarterback, it's not your decision to make. No, under your, your contract. You know, I you know I tend to have a little bit more of a hardline approach to that. Fine, you don't want to pay. You don't want your forty million. Fine, you sit out. You don't get your forty million. But I'm going to tell you what: if like this is a situation where Deshaun Watson's got a reason to bitch, okay, that line behind him is like four hundred million people long because we all got stuff to bitch about. Let me. Do you want me to tell you everything I'm unhappy about right now? Yeah, my own personal life. You know, yeah. Kyrie Irving just sitting out games, not even telling his coach why he took a leave of absence from the Nets, and he apparently blamed it on the Capitol riots, but meanwhile, he's showing up at a nightclub with Drake and partying, um, you know, he's sipping bottles, but he's supposedly so heart, you know, bent about what went on in the Capitol riots. The guy's making $40 million a year as a basketball player. What are you bitching about? Well, and that's what I get. You, it shocks me because, okay, it's essentially sitting there going, you know, I'm being paid $40 million a year. I've got a job. I know I'm, I'm doing my job. I signed this contract, but you know what? I'm just not entirely happy with everything. Well, who cares? Who cares if you're happy? That wasn't in the contract. Nobody said we're supposed to make you happy. You're supposed to sit back there and throw the football, and we're going to give you $40 million. And you know what? Even if you don't like it for 16, 17 weeks, you're getting $40 million at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Okay, suck it up. I agree. You know, they can give me they give me four million. I will go out there, and you can just beat the hell out of me each game. And I'll do it for a hundred thousand dollars. My my point also though is the rub is 
Why are there so few black coaches in the NFL, and why isn't Eric Bieniemy being given a job? Why is he still sitting out there sucking wind as a coordinator with all these retreads in the NFL, guys who keep getting jobs over and over again, who failed out elsewhere, but will get hired again in, in head of a black coach? Why is that? You know, I'm really not sure really what that is. Uh, you know, and, and here's, you know, me and we both, we're both fairly liberal, right? Yeah, extremely. And, and to me, I sit there and it doesn't make sense to me that that there would be someone somewhere in a NFL organization going, I don't want to hire this guy because he's black. Well, everyone in the organization black. Half the people are like, why, you know, why would you have that thought process? The same where- reason why you had for many, many years, if you're a black quarterback, you're an athlete. If you're a white quarterback, you're cerebral. And Donovan McNabb obviously broke that mold. But I think there's um, an almost a uh, precept to many of these uh, these individuals in the organization that, you know, you, black athletes fit a certain mold. Black executives fit a certain mold. And it's underrepresented in professional sports, and obviously that's bullshit. There's enough, uh, you know, most of the guys in the NFL predominantly are black. Yeah. Most individuals in professional basketball are predominantly black. Yes. Yet there's so few coaches and so few retired players that are given a chance. At I understand Deshaun Watson's point. Well taken. It makes complete sense. The way he's going about it is obviously nonsense. He's that looks like a prima donna. He's hurting his own brand. But it, that, I don't know what the answer to that is. I know we went off on, on a, kind of a tangent well, here. But, you know, and here's something I haven't really looked at because you brought it up. And this may be a, a sort of a side to it. But when you look at it, all right, white or black. Okay, what are the ratio of those coaches that were actually former players? Mm-hmm. Are because there's not a lot of white former player coaches either. Okay, you know you don't really have many you know white people out there that are coaching in in football that you can say, oh, this is a good former player. Mm-hmm. You got one or two in management. Yeah, you know John Lynch, some stuff like that. You got John Elway, mm-hmm. but you really don't have that former player pool. And uh, by the way, you probably saw me just checking my phone, and my producer was signaling me to look at my phone. And uh, Nola pointed out that Doug Williams is the first uh, black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. But I'm going to argue with him that that wasn't Doug Williams that broke the mold, though. That mold has continued for the next two decades where, again, if you're a black quarterback, you are an athlete. If you're a white quarterback, you're cerebral. Don McNabb, towards the second half of his career, his feet were like stuck in quicksand. He wasn't an athlete. He was a pocket quarterback. And if you give me a number of black quarterbacks in pro football right now, I can give you a handful that their feet are stuck in quicksand as well. They're not fast. For every Kyler Murray, I can give you five guys that can't run. Absolutely. You bring I can give up you plenty of white quarterbacks who are colorblind and can't throw the ball properly. You get Benny Testaverde? Yeah. When they, that, that was the rumor with him, I remember back when I was young. But when you bring up Doug Williams, now we're talking about a slightly different time, okay? We're talking about Hugh Culverhouse. Uh, you're, we're talking about a different era of Buccaneer football. And I, you know, and I, you know, the two things I can remember growing up about Hugh Culverhouse, just, just knowing this was that to some extent, I think it was fairly well known that he didn't have the highest respect for black players. And he wore the funniest looking pants that would be like halfway up his chest mm-hmm. uh, to ca- to suck in his belly. And that's what I can remember from being like, you know, 10 years, 11 years old, being a Bucks fan. I think what happened with Doug Williams, I do believe that was race oriented. OK, I do believe uh, Hugh Culverhouse had a thing against black athletes. And I do believe that was a big part of him leaving the Buccaneers mm-hmm. now. I also believe at that point in time, those attitudes were accepted amongst a certain element of society with a nod and a wink. Okay, these days, 
you really have to go into some dark corners to find people who really embrace racism or find that this is something that's acceptable. Now, I'm not saying it's not out there, but you're not going to sit down there and find your normal mainstream people, you know, out there expressing distaste for people of another race. At least I don't. They see don't it. expressly state it, but it's it's it, it's deep within them, and I think it's within their thought process, which is even worse. Well, I I would prefer. The Austrians who hated Jews versus the Germans who were outright, you know, if you look at what happened during 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 World War II, I'm not trying to get into the Holocaust. The Austrians were very quiet about their hatred of Jews. The Germans were, you know, open about it. Their, you know, their vile, vile hatred of Jews. You almost rather the individual who's expressing it rather than the individual who's quiet. At least you know how they feel. They're wearing their emotions on their sleeve. I believe that many of the executives in the NFL are very reticent to hire a black head coach. And when they hire a black head coach like Todd Bowles, the slightest screw up, the first bad season, they're quick to get the yank. Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich are two black coordinators of the Bucks that both could be head coaches tomorrow and both be very competent. Uh, you know, Bowles given a very short opportunity, very short leash. Bowles is doing fantastic. Leftwich, you know, I had some questions about Leftwich and I think it, you know, in the play calling, a few different things like that ever you know, for a number of years, but I can tell you, uh, Bruce Arians, he seems to be one of the most inclusive individuals I've seen out there as an NFL coach. Yeah, he he doesn't give a crap whether you're white, But, but one black, could argue, and many of the players are saying it, that it wasn't Bruce Arians that ran the offense, and Bruce Arians is an offensive mind. It was Byron Leftwich. Yeah, well, that's the same. Byron Leftwich is a quarterback guru. Well, we had some questions. It didn't always look like that. This year it looks like that, but I can tell you from when you were, when Byron Leftwich was catching a lot of heat, Bruce Arians unfailingly had his back. And when you look at sort of the dynamics of our coaching staff, the dynamics of the personnel within the Buccaneers, it's very inclusive. I mean, we got female coaches. We've got all different kinds of people out there. And I truly believe, at least with respect to Bruce Arians, his attitude is best person for the job. I don't, you know, I don't even need to see him. Yeah. Why didn't the Eagles hire Eric Bieniemy? I mean, we can continue going on about it. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the oh, yeah. former Colorado Buffalo's great. It was a great running back back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Um, I still don't understand why he, you know, he's been given numerous opportunities, been interviewed for 14 different head coaching jobs, and the guy's still sitting on his ass. Meanwhile, they continue hiring retreads over and over again, guys who have failed elsewhere, white guys, um, for God knows what reason. Yeah. I couldn't tell you that. Same reason why the Yankees interviewed uh, Dusty Baker, but they gave the job to Joe Torre, who was a failure everywhere he went. Joe Torre wound up looking like a superstar, but he was on a team with superstars. Hard not to win when you got Tino Martinez, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, and you got a pitching staff five deep, and you got relievers like Mariano Rivera. You could throw me out and have me coaching the team. You don't need analytics. I'm going to be winning 95 games a year. It wasn't Joe Torre. Joe Torre was a failure with the Braves. He was a failure with the Mets. He was a failure his entire career. My point is eventually you stick these white guys in enough jobs. They're going to succeed. You throw enough mud at the wall, something's going to stick. Why aren't these guys getting a chance? Dusty Baker's the most crafty coach in Major League Baseball. He's black. Why are there more black head coaches in baseball? Wait, let me ask you. Dusty Baker, did he... Who did they bring back to coach after the cheating scandal? Was that Dusty Baker? They Dusty brought Dusty Baker, yeah. Yeah, they brought Dusty Baker. Okay. Did they miss a beat? No. No, no, he didn't. But, uh, you know, and I think they brought in Dusty Baker because... 
because of his reputation within baseball. No nonsense, class act. There's not going to be any problems. He's not going to tolerate any bullshit, and he's uh, as smart as any coach out there. Yeah, so, you know, like... A, and we're like, going to have to do a raise preview on the next episode because we went off in a diatribe that we can't come back from. But, you know, and I think what it comes down to is, like, everywhere else in, in society, you don't, it's not systemic, but... There are individuals within the system that harbor these feelings, which make it almost seem systemic. Mm-hmm. But even the announcers, it comes down to the announcers. Is Deshaun Watson a scrambler? Or is he a pocket quarterback? He's a pocket quarterback. Can he take off if he needs to? Yeah, but is he a, is he a runner? No, he's a pocket quarterback. But you'll hear them say, they'll talk about what his athleticism over and over again, but they never talk about how cerebral he is. But you got a white quarterback, first coming out of their mouth is how cerebral he is. You know, I'd be interested to see a study on that if someone could do it. Just the comments about what you, you know, yeah. anecdotally, I'll tell you. Well, that. I'm saying the comments I about the white versus black quarterbacks on the the screen, on the on the field and, and just how often they refer to black quarterbacks as being very athletic mm-hmm. versus referring to white quarterbacks that way. I'd be, I've never paid attention to it, but now that you mention it, I'm going to be hyper aware, but I'd be interested to see what that came out like. Yeah, the I white quarterback is true. always cerebral and coachable. The black quarterback is always an athlete, fast twitch. I mean, those are the comments that are always made about black quarterbacks hmm. historically. Now I'm going to start paying attention to that because I don't doubt it. But now that you mention it. That's why when I watch sports, I put it on mute. I don't even care what these idiots say. All right. Another episode of the uh, Sibley Dolman Guy podcast. We're going to stick a lot more to talking about sports, keeping it light, because there's only so much about the law we can speak about. And we'll, we'll keep talking about it. But uh, the next episode, I guess we'll talk about the Rays a little more because we kind of got off topic. But another great discussion, Stan. Hey, and hopefully by the time we talk about the next episode, I'll get to tell you what the experience is like being in a game. So if you want to talk about auto accidents, slip and falls, give us a call at 833-55-CRASH, or you can just call me and pick my brain about sports. I'm always available. I'll talk to you about boxing, baseball, college, basketball, college football, and hockey. I'm always around. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Anytime anyone wants to talk about anything, they know where to find us. Have a great day. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.